Shalom Uvracha. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever edition of the Tzarech Ion podcast. Tzarech Ion is a Haredi intellectual journal. Yes, such a thing does exist. Uh, I had the pleasure and the merit of founding this some four years ago or so in the Hebrew language. Since then, we've developed into an English language version also. And the idea of Tzarech Ion is, as it reads, Tzarech Ion requires investigation. It tries to thrash out, to think about in a reflective way, in an analytical way, issues that are relevant to Haredi society, whether those issues are internal, the internal mechanisms, function, issues that arise, whether it's because we're Haredim or whether it's because we're Haredim in interaction with a bunch of other people, other systems, other states and governments and so on, Israel, America, the rest of the world, there's a lot to speak about. And it also requires, it It also has a connotation of Tzarechian, a certain difficulty. We are in times that raise difficulties, that raise a number of issues that weren't around in the past. And therefore we believe that there's a need, there's a real need to think, to thrash these issues out and to be more aware of them. And once we're more aware, we can also reach better decision-making in going towards the future. That's the idea. This podcast grew out of that. It's an English language podcast because we believe there's a real need for English language content in this in this area, in this field. And my partner in crime, if you want, for this podcast is a very close friend and colleague, Rav Yitzchak Adlestein. Rav Yitzchak, Shalom Aleichem. Great Yeah, Mir we should have a lot of Seyat Edishmai. Maybe give a few words of... Um, who you are and why this is important in your eyes. Well, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that you started off immediately with an oxymoron. Put a microphone in front of a rabbi and there's never such a thing as a few words. But be that as it may, um, where the two of us differ is that you've been here a lot longer than I have. So I'm kind of the, the new vintage American Ole who still hasn't learned to put American cultural ways behind him. Uh, I am, in my professional capacity, the director of interfaith affairs for the Simon Wiesenthal Center, happens to be the largest Jewish membership uh, organization in North America, perhaps the world. Um, in other parts of my my cloud work, uh, I was one of the uh, editors of Klal Perspectives, uh, of blessed memory. Uh, currently comatose, but the doctors have not given up and we're not pulling the plug yet. Uh, we'll come back to that some other time. Uh, Cloud Perspectives was an online journal addressed uh, to the entire Orthodox world, or the more traditional half of the Orthodox world, uh, in the English, in certainly in America in, in particular, but uh, we had many, many readers in Israel as well. What, what we found about cloud perspectives of all, the, of all the kudos that we got and the criticism that we got, it, it was popular because we were contributing something that wasn't there so much in America. And indeed, if you look back, has not always been there in the Orthodox world in recent memory or not so recent memory, and that is assembling perspectives, plural, under one roof. The very idea that you could have different points of view by B'nai Torah, sometimes by Chashuv Rabbanim, 
was something that was um, in, intensely liberating to many listeners who were, who were tired of being pigeonholed or painted into a corner. This is the way you have to think because this is part of, of orthodoxy. As, as somebody who worked in the Kirov world for, for many decades, I know that some of those boxes proved to be too narrow for many people, and it cost us nefashos. But even within Unzura, within our own, the fact that it had to be a certain way and you have to think a certain way, it, 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 it is something that was so stultifying to people that when they found out that people can disagree and they can have a collegial conversation with each other was something that was very positive. You know, I, I had a radio uh, program for a couple of years with a colleague of mine, also from a very different part of orthodoxy. And our, our um, byline was two rabbis, three opinions. And nice. Yeah. And um, we, nice. we I, made, I, think, I think we'll try to make it full. We, I was about to say, we're reading each other's minds. Uh, the, the, my other primary, my other primary, that's, that's not contradiction. My other, uh, objective here is, is something that we often don't like speaking about. And I'm sure this will become a theme in future podcasts. I was a, a devoted Talmud of Rav Nachman Bulman Zatzal. He's one of the people who really shaped my, uh, my, my past. And he had a, a, uh, an, a catchy phrase that he was fond of using, at least when the mic was off. He accused our generation of suffering from tzimtzum hamochos. Not the tzimtzum that you'll find in the Arachayim and Bereshis, a different kind of tzimtzum. When, when you box people into a corner, you, you suppress creativity. And if there was ever a time that we needed creative thought, it was today when challenges come past us faster than any time in history. You know, every generation has said, it can't get any worse, and this is the worst time in history. But there sometimes are objective things that you can say. One of the things that has traction about what makes our generation different is that the rate of change is such that our own community doesn't seem to be capable of really keeping up and catching up with all the new things that are there. So where are you coming from, Yoshua? <laughs> well, well, first of all, I, I identify with, with um, most of what you say. And it's a privilege to have you on, on uh, as a partner because, um, you know, reason is, is a great source of knowledge, but experience is probably uh, no less and probably much better source of knowledge. So uh, it's, it's really a privilege to be able to work together uh, on this show. I think number one, um, what, what the second point that you made, just thinking. I think often we're used to not thinking and that can work. I, I'm, I'm not saying necessarily that a system that doesn't encourage thought can't work. You, um, uh, Haredi society, I think that uh, Soloveitchik used this in his famous uh, article, is a mimetic style of upbringing, of, of knowing, of living. And, and mimetic in the sense... Uh, the, the Greek, it means something like copying. But the idea is that you carry on the tradition from generation to generation. What did your forefathers do? What did you do traditionally? And you continue that on. And, and that's worked pretty well. But the trouble is, if you don't know how to articulate 
what it is that you stand for, if you don't know how to think in a in a reflective way also about what it what what are your basic ideals, what are your basic uh, uh, you know uh, assumptions in terms of morality, in terms of religion, in terms of um, the, the 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 priorities of life and so on, then when you encounter other systems, when you go out into the world and you no longer live in that very uniform, very isolated ghetto, then you're in trouble. And I think that today, Haredi society is just can't be as isolated as it was in the past. We can argue, and we probably will, is that good? Is that bad? It, that, that's maybe for the future. But it's a fact. And the fact is that so many people are going out, whether because of internet exposure, whether because they're going out into the workforce, whether because they're in some academic institution, whatever it is, and they're exposed to so many bodies of knowledge, to so many other alternatives in terms of ways of life, in terms of culture, in terms of everything. So they have to know what what do we stand for. And that requires thought. It requires thinking. It requires also, like you said, a range of opinions and, and a crystallization to clarify Um so that's a th- the first thing I think. But I think that if we're speaking about English language and one of the things I, I do here is I'm a community rav of an English language community um, in, here in, in, in Yerushalayim, in Ramat. And our assumptions, our background are somewhat different to what we have as the kind of mainstream assumptions of Haredi Judaism in, in Eretz Israel. And I think that that's why, whether you're an Anglo living here or whether you're living abroad, you know, Eretz Israel is a center. It's a center of Torah. It's Kimitsia in Teitze Torah. It's, it's a wonderful lighthouse, whether for Israel, for the rest of the world. And yet, I think that specifically as Anglos, we can have a perspective that can contribute a lot. Often, it's the immigrants that are able to, number one, provide the most eloquent articulations because they have a broader vision, they have a broader perspective. They also sometimes have tools that those on the inside don't have. Think about in terms of Haredi society, you know, the Boyas and Rav Uriel Zimmer. He was one of the most articulate of those who try to explain what it is that we stand for. This is going back to the 60s. But Yeki, of course, who came in from the outside, as Boya was. Um, and even today, that perspective, as well as assumptions that can be slightly different to what the Eretisral Deca society is used to, I think can be just, number one, a wonderful proliferation. And, and number two, it's just very important for us to sharpen our own kind of intuitions, perspectives, understandings. And if there's a, a I think that's a good reason for uh, for why we're here. You know, one of my uh, favorite schmoozen of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz is about the the Medrash, about how Asa uh, finally lost his head. And at the uh, Kvura of Yaakov Avinu, where he tried to block their entrance into Mara Samach Pela and said, what are you guys doing here? And he said, we own it. No, I own it. He said, well, we own it. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm a reasonable guy. You have any proof? Yeah, we have a star. We got the documentation. Okay, where is it? Well, it's back in Egypt. Oh, no. Well, I'll wait. I'm not in any hurry. So they send uh, Naftali. Naftali, the runner, back. 
And uh, what happens? Chushim ben Dan sees what's going on, takes out his sword and lops off Esau's head, which rolls into Mara Samach Pela because he did have a good head, uh, which might be a good commentary on the perils of a show like this. It can't be just intellectual. You have to remember that we have to be grounded in other things as well. Anyway, Rechaim Shmulevit says, why Chushim ben Dun? Why was he the one? Well, the other thing we know about Chushim ben Dun is that he was deaf. And he says, sometimes when you're in the midst of something, when you're enmeshed in a, in a situation or in a culture, you take everything about that seriously enough that you have to respond to it, even if it's ridiculous. Chush ben Dun sees his grandfather lying in the hot sun. They've just made a trip of considerable length. And this guy appears out of nowhere and is trying to block them. So he takes out his sword and lops it off. He did objectively what the proper thing was to do. The others were negotiating because when you're in the midst of something, you have no other choice. And um, I think that that's where I come in and some Anglos come in. And up until very, very recently, any Haredi looking to make Aliyah was told, listen, don't try to change the world or even to try to change your family. You've got to make a binary decision. You're either going to be with the Dati Lumi world in Israel or the Haredi world. Neither is perfect. Make your choice. And then you and your kids had a series of expectations that would determine where they were going to be for the rest of their lives. And, and, think, and where you'll be also. And where you'll be as well. And I think that is beginning to change a little. At least, I hope. I'm still a naive well, well I, you know, I would, I would, uh, I would just add to that. It's not just that they're being told they have to make a binary decision. Often, they were being told, just don't come. And unfortunately, I was witness to, to, to several, several instances in which different rabbim of mine who were asked to consult, who were consulted with about making aliyah, and they were told, you know what? What you're looking for is going to be hard to find. And in terms of chinuch, the chances are that things are going to go wrong. And, you know, I, I say this with a, with a, you know, a wry smile, but it's really somewhat tragic. It's really, you know, one, one of the, one of the problems that we really need to address here is the issue of chinuch, is the issue of where we as Anglos and our friends, of course, uh, find ourselves here in Eretz Israel and how to make that binary decision a little bit less, less binary and, and a little bit more palatable. Um, because it's not like we don't have a good tradition in Chutzlaret also. Chutzlaret is actually a very traditional place. Some, sometimes more than Eretz Israel. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to speak about, you know, conservatism versus the more, future future minded progressive minded versions of Judaism but those exist within Haredi society also it's not always a question of whether you're reform or whether you're observant among Poiskim you know you find that the real traditionalists Rishmul Vosna for example super British you know a Rav of, of once upon a time Rav Yosef was not a big traditionalist Rav Yosef Shalom Yosef um, he had tremendous chidushim. Sometimes he blamed them on Minig Yerushalayim, uh, but other times he just said them. Um, and, um, and, and I think that, you know, we, we have something to contribute also. I don't think we'll be chopping any heads off. I, I hope not. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the, the way forwards. Um, but certainly 
in conversation and in a conversation that also has real ramifications. Um, li like you said, in terms of chinuch, in terms of community, in terms of understanding, in terms of you know wh where where the next generation is going to be. I'm, I'm hopeful that in the in the coming uh, episodes of this po podcast, some of the people who are figuring in some of the the changes, if you want to call them that, grace notes, if you don't want to call them that. Some of those players will come on to, to our show and um, help our listenership understand some of the real options that are developing uh, in, in making binary a drop less binary and offering opportunities for Chinuch in particular at a time that many in the West see themselves as uh, witnessing the final years or decades of a civilization and are very seriously taking, uh, making plans for, for Aliyah and still facing what they think is a brick wall, which is no longer a brick wall. It's becoming more of, a, let's say, plastic slats. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something interesting in, in that context. Um, you know, many people ask me, in the context of Tzarechion and some of the other things that, that I do. And they say, you know, Rabbi Pfeffer, you're a conservative person. You're a Brit. You claim to be in the conservative kind of uh, milieu in that, in, on that side of the map. But surely all these things that you're doing seem to be pretty new. They seem to be pretty innovative. You know, they're, they're taking us to a different place, surely. So how do these things go together? You know, how are you on the one side a conservative and on the other side doing all these new things? And the, the way I see it is very much like you mentioned now, that the, the change is happening irrespective of and with respect, Yeshua Pfeffer, Rabbi Adlerstein, that the change is happening fr from the field. It's happening in any case. That's the fact of the matter. The question isn't how to create change. I think the question really is how to conserve. How to conserve in the face of change, in the face of new realities that force us to rethink, and whether we like it or not. And if we're not able to rethink, if we're not able to try to adopt our core values to the, to adapt, excuse me, the core values to this new reality, to the new circumstances, then we're going to lose it. And I think Dafka here, specifically here, the Anglos have something to offer because their model is a model that has this, this balance, right? For us, it's not a grave sin. If you go to work, chas v'shalom, and several other you know, issues that we'll be raising over the course of the podcast. And perhaps this kind of balance from a place of tradition, from a place is, yes, this is what our parents and grandparents did. Um, and true, in Eretz Israel, the model is somewhat different. But nonetheless, when the Israelis are searching for balance, then maybe they can find something specifically here with, with the Anglos, with the English-speaking community, because it's hard for them to do it. Often they're in a state of confusion. Um, they've been brought up in a different way than they might be living today, and therefore that causes a certain friction, uh, even tension. And um, thank you. And therefore, you know, the, the Anglers don't have that friction. They don't have that tension. Maybe they have something real to contribute here. Yeah, well, we're not going to minimize all the problems that Anglos have had, continue to have, 
and uh, in in many in many senses an erosion of values uh, with that that came concomitantly with the growth of number of people who were adhering to Torah and to Lima Torah. Uh, a certain kind of superficiality that uh, that 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 crept in, and a and a lack of of drive and motivation for for real change in ruchnius, and I'm sure we're going to get to that too. Um, you're, you're so right about what you what you said. Uh, conservatism that that doesn't allow for any method of change is is doomed to 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 failure to ossify itself and bury itself within a few years there's a reason why in the united states they don't talk about conservatives they talk about neocons because conservatism had to kind of reinvent itself and that was a good few decades ago i don't know what new title they're going to come up with in the in the next few years there was a rav in tel aviv his name escapes me at the moment said you know if we asked as we did our talmidim in the past, where is there a mitzvah in the Torah of studying history? So we'd eventually tease out a response of Shala, Vicha, Vyagetcha. He said, Don't forget what comes after that. Binu Shinos Dorvador, which he said means not only understand the 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 course of different generations, but the Shinui, Shnos Dorvador. Understand when parts of the past have to change because conditions have changed. And, and, and that's where we're all looking for the, for the right balance between, between, uh, between change and, and tradition. If, if you're talking about influence of Anglos, potential influence of Anglos because of parts of their successful model, we have to remember that the only reason that it was successful in the United States is because people were looking over their shoulders for firm anchoring in the more traditional communities in Eretz Yisrael. Without that, you know, I'm reminded of, of uh, a question that was posed to Rav Cook at the heyday of his power. And he was suffering terribly from the Kanoyim. And he had the power to, to squelch them. And, and they asked him, why don't you quash these people who are causing you such akmas nefesh and... He said, Chas v'shalom, we're like a ship at sea. If we don't have them to anchor us, there's no telling where we will drift off to. Reminds me of uh, Rav Shach. Rav Shach said the same thing about the Satmar Rebbe. <laughs> you know, each one takes it one step to the right. At his Hesper for the Satmar Rebbe, so he said, yes, we don't always agree on issues of policy, and there's daylight between us, but without him, where would we be? So, you know, so each one takes it one step to the right. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily mean right and left are, are binary ideas that I think we'll, we'll try to flesh out in a, in a more nuanced way. Uh, it's not all about right and left over here. Going to work, for example, isn't a left-wing agenda. It's a Torah agenda. It's a Godel Hanene Migia Kapov agenda, just for instance. Uh, but, you know... Although this is a very nice introduction and we're agreeing so nicely on everything, I'd like to try to like let, let's try to, to to find a point of disagreement and and I'd like to ask well, that, that won't be hard. That won't be hard. <laughs> so let, let's try. Let's do it. But what's what's your take on the Israel diaspora relations within Haredi society or Jewish society generally? You're like more newly arrived, as you mentioned. I've been here for it seems to me forever since I was a, a young yeshiva guy. Uh, that ended up staying in 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 Israel and and 
you know, learning many years and here I am. Um, but you've, you've spent your life in United States and the diaspora. How do you see that? How do you see the relationship? Where is it going? You mean of the Haredi community in particular, not of American Jewry versus Israeli Jewry? Yes. Uh, funny you should ask that. Um, it, it's been, as I said, something that's very positive, as I, I mentioned a moment ago, and I would add to that, that, that much of the, the personal engine of many, many, if not most Haredim in the United States came from the years that they spent living in a more rarefied spiritual atmosphere of, of Eretz Yisrael, away from the materialism in a place where people took davening a little bit more seriously and where you were surrounded by people whose life was lima Torah and, and didn't cut any corners. Not that, I shouldn't say didn't cut any corners. In America, I, I believe most of us don't consciously cut corners as well. But it, it was such an important contribution that uh, that the Haredi society in, in in Israel made to us, and it's going to increase because right now there are more Jews living in in Eretz Israel than there are in America, and uh, it may be that in a decade or so it'll be it'll be the majority of Jews around the world. Um, that said, there were parts of it which were not so healthy. Um, I'm really an old timer. I remember Rav Moshe. Uh, not only, not only his, his the power of, of of what he wrote and how important he was in halacha and how everyone went to Rav Moshe. I remember Rav Yaakov's Zatzal as well. I, I I wasn't a Talmud both, but I knew both personally and had had the schuss of spending uh, time at formative moments in my life with uh, with with both of them. They died within a month of each other. Uh, there was something that was terribly upsetting by that. Many of us felt that. I remember. That, I remember that Tira. I mean, I, I was I was a young school kid, uh, but I, I remember that vividly. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a real. It was a real. You know, uh, it, it was a wretched time. It was so difficult to absorb that. I remember one of my one of my rebellion. Uh, Peretz Steinberg Schlitter was a rav in, in Queens and a product both of Beis Medrash Kovoa and Beis Medrash Elyon, very, very close with Moshe. Uh, and uh, definitely a complete traditionalist. But I remember speaking to him after and saying, like, what's going to be? Like, where, where is the rising Shemesh that's going to replace the old one? And he said, it can't happen. It's not going to be. So I thought it was just acting in sorrow. I asked him 20 years later, you know, have you revisited what's what's replaced it? He said, nope. Huh. <laughs> he didn't change. I, I thought that some things had, uh, that, that there was a flowering within the realm of halacha. But was he referring specifically to the United States? He, no, he meant, he meant the world. He meant globally. He meant, he meant globally. And there's been such a prolifer proliferation of quality Torah, both in more narrow parts of halacha. It's been a specialization and, and amazing Torah journals and Chiddush and halacha as well. That what started off as the province of one individual or a small group of individuals has now, the, the labor has been spread out. Uh, there's something satisfying and unsatisfying about that. But, but I, I missed, let me not distract myself from my main point. People were wondering what's going to happen now that we don't have Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov. There's kind of like an informal... Uh, separation of powers between the two. Rav Moshe was the Yisod of Halacha, but Rav Yaakov was much more 
the one you went to for Aitza and guidance and, and penetrating analysis of where this is going. He was Machabid Rav Moshe. I remember s- sitting in his in his living room and seeing a picture of him and Rav Moshe on, on, the, on the mantle of his fireplace with Rav Moshe up front and him standing behind. That was an important statement of his anava and of really of, of some of the separation of powers in America at the time. What's going to happen now? We don't have a Moshe, we don't have a Yaakov. And within a matter of months, there were people who went to Rav Shach and said, you're the new Manig of America. And Rav Shach said, can't be. It's a different culture. I'm thousands of miles away. You've got to find people on your own turf. And they said, no, we have no one in America. And huh. Rav Shach says, you have to find. And they okay. said, no. And Rav Shach refused for about six months. That's the way I recall it. Until they badgered him and badgered him and said, the people of America want you to be the manning. They're demanding it, so you have to be. There was a decision made then that there was no real first-rate Hanhaga left in America. Hmm. Everything is second-rate, and we're going to ask all questions now in Yerushalayim or B'nai Brak, depending on which part of the Haredi world you were coming from. I think that was one of the most dangerous decisions hmm. that, um, that American Would you say that's still from. a situation today? I would say that is still the... For a large part, it's the situation today. We have developed some people who the island respects. No one of the the the, the, the majesty of the cadre of Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov, who everybody looked up to. We don't have those unifying figures, but we have people that subgroups of the community uh, did look up to. But in terms of Hanaga, look, it, it sometimes got to the point. I remember. In my shul in Los Angeles, a shul I davened, it was my shul, but I davened with Rav Gershon Beshlita for, for close to 40 years. And somebody put up a sign in the back announcing a new shear once a week in Lashon Hara. Right? Sounds pretty tame Inno- innocuous. And innocuous. Pretty right? innocuous. At the bottom was a legend I've seen again and again and again. This shear has the approval and support of Gedole Yisrael. Wow. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that you have a community that is being told that there's a certain amount of loyalty to those on top, dafka those on top, who have to be gone to for every question. Meaning a very centralized system, very a very centralized, centralized system, which, which means that much of the bottom-up way of attending to needs of the community that was part of our community for hundreds of years. Right, which is a more federal model, though, because it, it, you need to yes. have local authorities, local powers, right. local rabbanim. I have my eye on the clock, so we're going we're gonna to have to finish uh, in a minute. But just in, in reaction, um, you know, I think a similar process is happening in Eretz Israel, meaning the kind of centralized authority that we had in the times of Rav Shach, for example, is not around today anymore. It's much more splintered. It's much more, you know, fractured in that sense. And it's, it will be interesting to see to what degree your assertion that, you know, th- that that situation is still ongoing today will really be able to 
continue into the years to come when I'm assuming that this more uh, decentralizing kind of uh, dynamic uh, will continue also here in Eretz Israel. That'll be interesting to see. If we take our gloves off and we both have a couple of shots to drink before we come on, and we analyze the reactions of different communities and different parts of the community to COVID, I think we'll come up with some very interesting material. And I'll be surprised if we agree about all points, and I'll be surprised if we disagree about all of them. Me too. <laughs> uh, and, and COVID is certainly something that we'll, we'll speak about. I think the COVID question certainly brought into focus the advantages and the disadvantages of the deeply centralized model. Uh, and and where where it takes us, you know, in terms of uh, Eretz Israel and the diaspora, just to give my two cents on that, I think that for many years the assumption was a kind of Yisachar Zvulun arrangement. All right, a- America is the Zvulun, they're the providers, and Eretz Israel is the Yisachar. And by the way, that's a kind of expansion and extension of the traditional Chaluka model. You know, Eretz Israel is a place where people learn, where people dedicate themselves to Avedah Shashem. Chutz La'aretz supports Eretz Israel because they're not self-reliant and therefore they need the support. I'm not sure if that's going to be the future of the relationship. I think that there are already, you know, um, no small or no few cracks in, in, in that model for a variety of reasons uh, and from both sides of the equation. And I think that'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. The other thing is the question of Aliyah. You know, if you mentioned COVID, um, we're also on the verge of real change in terms of American politics. And who knows how that might be able to influence the rate of Aliyah. Uh, certainly, I've had conversations recently with Nefesh Penefesh. They're expecting a real flood, a real new intake of Olim from Western Europe and from the United States, uh, English-speaking uh, uh, countries. I think that could make a big difference too. In, indeed. Um, I'll, I'll only add that since I have the mic, uh, one of my... my closing statement. Pet- closing statement. Closing statement is that the... Um, Interplay is not just in one direction. Because the Haredi community here in Eretz Yisrael has had and continues to have such impact, it has to be, I believe, more conscious of what actions here are going to, what consequences those actions are going to have on Jews in America. When communities decided to go their own and ignore uh, COVID policies of the health ministry, did they stop to think that there are going to be people, hundreds of thousands in the United States, looking to their cousins in Eretz Yisrael, saying, if they can do that, we can do that too, even though they're living under the watchful gaze of Western journalists. Well, some of them, if you do that, we can do that too, and, and others, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> How on earth can this be a representation of Torah Judaism? How does this look to the outside world and everyone seeing it? And this is really a development of the last couple of decades because of the new media, because of the new uh, internet technologies, everything's exposed. You can't play double speak. You can't talk in one language internally and speak another one when you're talking to your friends across the pond. Only the PA gets to do that. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll wrap up for today. Um, thank you very much to uh, all our listeners for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Mircea Shem will have 
some animated, some dynamic, and some fascinating conversations. I trust and hope that you'll be with us and that you'll enjoy and really be able to think through some of these crucial issues which are so relevant for the future of Klal Israel, of Haredi society, of all of us, of, of Israel and the diaspora. So thank you, Rav Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. See you soon.